You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 233 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with the awesome Gina Malisha. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val, but how are you, the awesome Valerie Koo and happy (laughs) Lunar New Year, Valerie? Yes, well, happy Lunar New Year to you too. I'm right in the thick of it. Mm. Uh, The Sydney Lunar Festival is on from the 1st to the 10th of February. Big shout out to Robin who uh, actually came to the opening night and uploaded some photos into our Facebook group. And of course, if you're not a member of our listener community on Facebook, just go to So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community. Um, search for that on Facebook and request to join. It's free to join. We'd love to have you in there. So Robin uploaded some photos and um, it was a bit rainy on the first night, but it's been perfect weather ever since. All right. So just tell us, like, rock star Valerie. uh, No. Yes. So there you are at Sydney Harbour, right? Yes, Sydney Harbour. So as curator of the Sydney Lunar Festival, you, you got to design the fireworks right that go uh-huh. off over the harbour and I just yes. saw lots of pink and I'm like all oh, right that's uh, Valerie's I saw a great <laughs> outfit for you for the closing mm. actually I should okay. if I can find it uh it's perfect but okay. how was that like the countdown to the opening you're the one like you're pushing the button and then sets off the fireworks it's like yeah. <laughs> what was that like well, so what happens? By the way, listeners, this is so you want to be a yeah, photographer. Yeah. It's We're photography. Still a bit of a catch up. It is photography. Right. A lot of people yeah. were trying to capture the fireworks, and lots of photos are being taken around uh, Sydney Harbour to uh, take photos of the beautiful lanterns at night. But anyway, um, yes. So myself and uh, the Lord Mayor Clover Moore, who is the Lord Mayor for Sydney, we did the countdown. I don't actually physically press a button. What happens is there's someone in production just waiting in the wings. And they've got their little, you know, Madonna mic, thing. the Madonna yeah. mic, yeah. And they're they're waiting for me to count down to one, and then they go, like before they before I get to one, they go cue pyro and cue whatever, <laughs> and then when they get to one, they they say go. They so they give the green light to the pyrotechnic people, who then obviously set off something on barges on Sydney Harbour and the fireworks go off. So they actually time it and there's a, there's a, there's a brief moment of, oh, my God, is it going to work? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so were you but it does. pooping your pants at that point? I would have been, like, just in case so it's much... counting down and the world's watching and Do you know what? I, so much was happening. I, I didn't – it was – it's a bit of a blur, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. So fortunately, even though there's that millisecond of, oh, my God, will it work, um, 
it did work. So the fireworks went off after which um, also the Harbour Bridge is lit up in certain colours during the period of the festival. Um, The irony of the fireworks (laughs) is that even though, you know, I have the creative input into the fireworks and it's like my dream, because I'm so involved in the other official proceedings and I needed to kind of hang around the production person in case something needed to be done or something needed to be, you know, announced or whatever, I didn't really get a good vantage point of the fireworks. (laughs) Oh, no. So I anticipated that and I did ask somebody to video it for me. Yeah. So uh, I am going to watch the video so I can see it in its entirety, but I didn't actually get to get the full, you know, Thing, but hopefully everyone else enjoyed it, and hopefully uh, they it kicked off Lunar New Year or the Sydney Lunar Festival with a bang, and um, um, and while the fireworks are gone, of course the Harbour Bridge is lit every night. So I'm keen to, um, I mean, for people to go just check that out because it all the colours represent different things and um, tell a story in itself, and so yeah, it's been busy. I, I I'm so busy right now that for the first time in my life because I have a cup of tea every morning and I pour my you know water into the teapot and then I let it brew and then I um you know pour my tea Mm. and yesterday for the first time ever I poured my tea and drank it and I went what the hell is this and I I realized I'd poured poured cold water into the teapot don't you have people that make you tea that like bring it up for you and things like that at home but now that you're hobnobbing with the lord mayor and launching fireworks fell there'll be people that do all of that for you no i don't think so so (laughs) that's the thing i was i was like oh my god where is my brain because there's just too much happening but more importantly you've got some pretty awesome news I've got exciting news. Yes. yes. So, uh, and I'm sharing it here with you guys. Uh, in May this year, 2019, we are doing a Sicily portrait workshop. It is, this is my favorite place in the entire world. It's also Sicily. the place where, yes, it's also the place where my uh, parents were born or my family still live there. And uh, the, Sicily, I've done several workshops in partnership with Sicilian food tours over the years. And this place is amazing. So we're launching a seven-day portrait workshop intensive. So on this tour, I'm going to be teaching uh, lighting techniques, posing, directing, everything like I know about photography. It's Mm. a massive brain dump, intensive. We hang out together. We're all staying together in the same hotel. We're eating together. All the questions you've ever wanted to ask, then we're going out, we're shooting on the streets, and I'll you know, approaching strangers, set up shoots, everything really exciting. I'll put a link into the show notes if any of our listeners are interested. And of course, uh, not everyone can make it. This is a also small, very small group. It's capped at only eight spots. So I'd like Mm. to keep it small because I want to work one-on-one with everyone over the week. Now, obviously, there's a lot of people that can't make it, uh, not going to fit into that group. And so if you're a member of the Goal community, I will be recording a lot of these uh, 
shoots that I shoot while I'm over there and uh, they'll be uploaded to the goal community and they'll be getting uh, detailed tutorials that they can uh, watch as part of that Sicily trip. Oh, this is so exciting because if you haven't seen Gina in action, it really is a sight to behold. And certainly I know that I've learned a lot of things, not just when Gina's explained stuff to me, but just watching her do it because there is no better you know, tutorial, no better lesson when you're seeing that live and in person. But yes, in terms of the Gold Community, we are recording it for everyone in the Gold Community. So if you are a member, you're going to be in for a treat. And if you are not a member and want to find out more about the Gold Community, have a listen to this. Hey guys, are you an enthusiast or pro photographer who wants to take their photography to the next level? I'd love the opportunity to work with you and I want to introduce you to my Gold Community. The Gold Community is an educational resource where members get access to photography courses and regular tutorials. There's over 200 tutorials with more being added each month. In these tutorials, I take you on set with me and I share my thought process behind scouting locations, posing and directing models, lighting and post-production. You get to see the entire shoot from start to finish, from surface in Sri Lanka using a single speed light to character portraits on the streets of Sicily using daylight or high-end studio shoots where I share all my posing and connecting hacks. There's also regular photo critiques, monthly live calls and heaps more. As a member, you'll also have access to my exclusive Facebook group and online forum where you'll be able to connect with other members from all over the world. So what are you waiting for? Join the Gold community today and start taking the kind of photos you've always dreamed of. You can check it out at ginamilitia.com. All right, this week we have a guest and it's all about how to shoot food photography like a pro. Now, I have to say my first experience with food photography was, oh, well, it was decades ago when I was um, first in magazines and I used to go to shoots and in the other studio while we were shooting fashion or celebrities or whatever, there would be a lot of food photography Mm. happening and the food always looked amazing and sometimes smelt amazing and I would often go in there at the end thinking maybe they'll give me some food but then they would say no 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 no! you can't eat it like it's been sprayed with you know Windex or something I don't know (laughs) because there's certain tricks in food photography sometimes people don't do any tricks but if you've got food sitting there for hours, you sometimes need, uh, there's a few tricks up your sleeve in order to make it shiny or, or in order to make it the condensation um, or the steam come back. So if there is quite an art to food photography that goes beyond what Instagrammers do, you know, mm-hmm. in restaurants. So I'm really keen for our particular guest this week. Who is it? So it's Joni Simon and Joni, uh, like I stumbled across her YouTube channel, and so she's a professional photographer. But the other thing that she is is an amazing teacher. And like, okay, Val, I've got this new way that I describe people based on the. Uh, do you know that 
chick that does the art of tidying up, Marie Kondo. M- Marie, Con- Marie Kondo, I think that's yeah. not how you – I don't think you say Marie, but it's something else. Marie. Ma- yeah, well, there you go. Um, it's based on what their likability is on the Kondo scale, right? And huh? how likable – have you watched the show? I've only watched like about 15 minutes and then I couldn't watch anymore. Right. Well, I reckon <laughs> she is so likable. This, this. Oh, Marie. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. then, so she'd be a ten on the scale because it's her, right? And okay. then everyone else, I, I, I rate on that scale of how likable they are. And so, uh, Joni is way up there on the likability scale. So not only is okay. she a fantastic photographer, her energy is brilliant, and she's a fantastic teacher and incredibly generous. So. Uh, in this uh, conversation that we had, she covers, like, generously shares everything uh, that she knows, <laughs> not everything, but so much about her food photography, how she got into it, why she shoots food. The why is so important. She talks about common food photography lighting mistakes that newbies make. And mm. the other big thing is that why she uses in a lot of her images artificial light to light her images. And when you look at her images, you wouldn't think they were lit. You would think they were all shot with daylight. Mm. And so... When I asked her about that, of course, she shared how she does that. And she walks us through all her lighting uh, techniques and some simple ways that even if you've never photographed food before and you only have maybe a speed light and a diffuser, like a really inexpensive kit, you can create that beautiful daylight soft look with your images. And uh, she talks about gear and all sorts of stuff. Heaps of great information in this in this uh, conversation. Awesome. Here we go. Joni Simon, welcome to the show. How are you going? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Before we get into it, where in the world yeah. are you? I am in uh, United States in Phoenix, Arizona. Fantastic. And like it, it's your winter, right? Or do is it cold? It is winter, but uh, we're in the Sonoran Desert, yeah. so we are very fortunate this time of year. It's absolutely beautiful. It's 60, 70 degrees Fahrenheit, so it's beautiful weather. We uh, very much lament, though, our summers. So once we get into May through about October, it'll be 120 degrees Fahrenheit plus. I so know. it's uh, yeah. not so enjoyable then. <laughs> I, I was there in July. Uh, last oh, year and it's like yeah. <laughs> and it's like Arizona must be a breeding ground for great photographers because that's where uh, Joel Grimes is from as well so it is him recently. yes yeah so wonderful yeah um I love your YouTube channel and the way that you teach and your photography is amazing so hopefully today we're going to get inside your head and uh like get find out a bit more about how this whole food photography world, which I have to admit, I actually started as a food photographer Did uh, you? 30 years ago. Yeah. But uh, I, because I've got a foodie background, my dad was a chef and I've always, mm. I worked in restaurants as a part-time job as I was growing my portrait photography business. And so, and then I started getting food shoots and, uh, 
I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll be a food photographer. And then suddenly I discovered portrait photography and I thought, nah, this is where I need to go and I leave it yeah. to the people who uh, – because <laughs> I don't have personally the patience to deal with inanimate objects. Mm. And it's it, I think it has to do with when I photograph people, I want to put my energy into that portrait to bring it to yeah. life because that's – for me, that's the important part. Aside from the technical, is putting injecting that energy. Yeah, and I've always struggled with products to put personality and energy. But when I look at your photos, you've done that. Mm-hmm. How do you do yeah. that? What's your thinking process to uh, you know injecting life into? Because you can get the lighting looking sure. super technical and perfect and you've got the directional and the highlights in all the right place composition's amazing but it's that little that x factor that next level yeah Yeah. I yeah well thank you so much for seeing it because yeah I I think part of it is that my love of food came before my love of the camera Um, and I, I certainly have an artistic background, you know, my great grandmother is a painter and my mother's a a calligrapher and watercolorist. And so I, I come by that kind of eye, honestly. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been enamored with food and I can't even really describe why I love food. You know, it's one of those things that I sit and think about, like, where did this passion come from? Because I remember, even in elementary school, just sitting and reading cookbooks, like what 12 year old sits and reads cookbooks. And I, I, so I don't entirely know because it wasn't like I was raised in a foodie household either. My mom was sort of a pretty standard, um, you know, homemaker in the sense of she had 12 dishes that were on constant rotation in our house. It was very set recipes. It wasn't a lot of creativity, but my grandmother um, did a really great job of exposing both my sister and I to a lot of great food when we were young in terms of restaurants and um, being intentional about taking us out to, you know, what we considered to be fine dining at the time. Now, you know, certainly becoming much more of a food interested person. I have um, a wider purview of what's out there, but, you know, certainly as a, you know, 10 year old kid and sitting at a white tablecloth and sort of the magic and the beauty of that experience and that it was, it was more than just nourishment, right? It's, it's entertainment, it's interest, it's flavor, it's interactive. It's also a way to connect with people that, you know, when you've, when you've had a meal with somebody, uh, that you connect with them in a way that you can't um, otherwise. So there, there's a certain kind of magic to the world of food that has always captivated me. And so when then suddenly the camera became a part of that, the, to me, there was no question that I would have any other subject other than food, because to me, that was what was most interesting to capture. So it comes down to, I guess, if you love what the thing that you're photographing, then that's mm. obviously going to come through. That passion will come through. I have to think so, right? I mean, because mm. I'd be curious to know, you know, in talking, I mean, certainly in in all the food photographers who I personally know, they have a connection with food. Um, you know, some certainly more on the commercial side who do much more advertising work, um, who are much more technically minded, you know, that they still have some sort of connection to the food. And even if you're working with a food stylist um, that still is the photographer and the person doing the 
capture that that you have to have that understanding of how to evoke that emotion um, and that visceral response. Because to me, that's what it's all about in food is that I want to literally have you feel like you could reach out and want to put this in your mouth, right? That that's it's that visceral experience. So exactly. uh, I do think that, that that you do have to have that relationship with food um, to add to that X factor. I don't think that necessarily you have to in order to have a successful career in food photography. Um, but if you really want to create, you know, art with your food, I think that that's really important. All right, so you you so you talk about you've got this long history of uh, food. So like starting yeah. as a child reading those cookbooks, which is kind of bizarre <laughs> in a way, but right? really cool. I mean, I'm sure my mom was like, "What is up with this kid?" I remember being like ten years old and saying, "Hey, mom, I want to make tandoori chicken," and she's like, "I don't even know what tandoori is. Like, what are?" what do you want? Why would you want plain yogurt? What the heck is turmeric? Like these are conversations with my poor mother. And I wonder too, how much of this was possibly also like the PBS channel, like the public broadcasting, um, of the early cooking shows, because this would have been, you know, late eighties, early nineties before food network really had hit its moment that this was much more of, um, you know, I'm trying to think two fat ladies was a yeah. real popular show and Yan can cook and, um, some of those earlier personalities. And I feel like there had to have been some sort of influence also there that was input into my little brain that, uh, just really thought, Oh, this is, this is magic. Were you, <laughs> were you watching cool. these shows on your own instead of cartoons? Like, oh, for sure. Yeah. There wasn't anybody so else bizarre. in the house watching those. <laughs> That's funny. And and so <laughs> was there um a, a, other connections in that like so you you, you talked to, we were talking off air about you, you was working in a family business with restaurants before you actually huh. started food photography. How did you how did you break into food photography? Uh, so it was sort of, I mean, it was definitely accidental in that I had started a food blog uh, and also a podcast just documenting local restaurants and what was on the menu, as well as just some of what I was cooking at home, you know, it's kind of the early days of Instagram and sharing that out. And then suddenly through these various connections that I'd made with chefs and restaurant folks, bartenders through my podcast and also um, just through my business in selling to restaurants as a part of my day job, uh, they suddenly started to take notice of my images. And there was one particular restaurant that was a part of a local hotel. And I went in and did some shots just to promote for as a part of my blog post. And they came back and said, you know, we really like those shots. And we actually need somebody to shoot the rest of our menu. It's like 30 items. And you know, what's your rate? And I'm like, that's a great question. Let me get you on that. Crap, what's my rate? So you know, get on Google, figure out whatever I could figure out. And came back, gave them a price and and they hired me. And so, uh, you know, it was a crazy experience. And I remember too, now back to that first shoot and yeah, it was like 30 dishes, which is a lot of dishes. Um, that's a lot to do in a day, but they're like, yeah, we could probably do that in four hours. Right. I'm like, I guess so. I don't know. And so, I mean, we did, but I look back on that and that was just, I mean, it was insanity and things were coming out of the kitchen. I'm shooting. I had no sense of how to manage a photo shoot. Um, they also didn't, I mean, these weren't necessarily like high profile images. So I think it was a fitting first job for me and they were super happy with the images. But I just remember like after that four hours, I'm like, I am exhausted. How 
did I just do that? And now I think, you know, I do eight, 10 hour shoots, no problem. Um, granted, not at the velocity of, you know, 30 dishes in the course of one shoot. But uh, either way, you know, it was a lot of trial by fire and figuring it out as I go, because I didn't, I didn't intend to get into the photography world. And it wasn't, you know, but I but I suddenly found myself having a whole lot of fun and really enjoying it and feeding that creative side of um, that's always been a part of me as far as also the visual expression part. Uh, so yeah, it was it was all by accident. But I think at the same time, nothing's by accident. And things happen as they should. I love that. I love that. And it's like so that first food shoot. So obviously, you've been doing. Instagram post for your blog, right? So you're shooting food, right. but but was that limited to are you shooting with daylight before you did this first restaurant shoot? How how were you lighting yep. your shots? Yep, it was all with daylight. Fortunately, mm. I understood at that point in time the directionality of light and understanding, you know, the side light and backlighting really flattering for food. Um, but but outside of that, I mean, I look back at that. And I've actually created a, a video on my YouTube channel just about how much I didn't know at the time. Mm. Um, because again, I didn't go to photography school. I didn't set out to become a food photographer. This was just, you know, kind of doing something somebody had asked me to do and rising to the occasion. Um, and so granted, could I go back and, you know, know what I know now? Good heavens, there would be so many different things. But I think that again, um, you know, given the circumstance of their expectations for the images and, you know, where I was at. So yeah, there was definitely a lot that I didn't know, which is why, you know, when people come to me and ask, you know, I want, I want to get started in food photography and, but I, I don't think I'm ready. I'm like, you'll never be ready. Like mm. you could know everything and still feel insecure about, you know, what you know or what you're doing. You know, you just, you just need to start. So, um, you know, I think restaurants are a really great place for any food photographers to start because a lot of times, you know, the restaurants do need images for their social media and they need it for the websites and they're not necessarily putting these in national ad campaigns. So I think they're a really great place to start. Um, get your feet wet, get your hands dirty, figure out the flow because, you know, you certainly do need to know how to manage a photo shoot in a restaurant and how to work with a chef and collaborate with the various people that are in there. And so I think it's a really great, uh, great training ground with restaurants. I think that's a, that's great advice. And like, sometimes I think that there's almost too much information out there. And I think if I knew all the stuff that I knew, I know now, I would probably would have talked myself out of doing any shoots and that going in with that, all the beautiful ignorance that I had Oh yeah, I can do this shoot. No worries. I've got my camera. I've got my you know kit lens, and but you make it work, and it, 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 I think that works to a, you know to our advantage a lot of the time. And you need to do the shoots to figure yeah. out how to get to the next level. And it's it's all about the shooting. And uh, on that natural light shooting, uh-huh. doing that first thing, and we'll we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that what what you talked about the direction and shaping the food, but. I, yeah. I can't remember the photographer that that was interviewed, but there was a photographer that a food photographer that talked about how she had been doing high end commercial shoots with a um, like uh, this one particular client who then decided that uh, they were going to go in a different direction and they hired mm. a very well known known Instagram photographer, mm. food photographer at the time who only worked with natural light. 
Mm-hmm. And this was a commercial shoot for all the packaging shots. Oh boy! And, yeah, <laughs> making me nervous. Uh, yeah, and so and um and so what they did is they invested in this photographer to do uh, a shoot over the course of a day in her daylight studio. And what happened was uh, everything was going well in the morning when it was a beautiful day outside. So there was like beautiful directional light coming in through those windows everything was going well the weather turned Mm -hmm. and the light dropped and Mm -hmm. this uh natural light photographer couldn't get consistent shots anymore and basically blew the shoot because didn't know how to light and make everything look consistent and the original photographer then got the client back down the track so Great lesson there. I think, and what I say to a lot of my students is, I think it's, you need to understand natural light before you can understand how to light things properly, because that Mm -hmm. teaches you about the direction of light and fill and hard light versus soft light. But then if you want to be able to work at a higher level, I think that learning how to light products or people is an absolute must. What are your, and I know you light all your shots or the majority of your shots. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, food, it's interesting, right? Because there's always trends in industries. And so the trend for a good while now, and it's still continuing, um, is there's a lot of uh, people who are very committed to natural light. And certainly natural light is beautiful. I just am not a patient person. So I just, (laughs) I'm a control freak, so I can't handle it. Um, But uh, it is, I think it's so important to know how to work with natural light. You can learn so much. There's so much um, nuance there. Uh, But yeah, at a certain point, you do really need to incorporate that because yeah, I have I've been on shoots where exactly like if you need that consistency, you need to be able to create, um, you know, the same shot over and over. Or, you know, you think about shooting a cookbook, for example, that, yes, you're doing a variety of number of shots, but a cookbook, you know, that's going to take you more than two hours of a morning. That's going to take you over the course of many days. And so in order to create that consistency from page one to page 50 that you need you need artificial light in order to do that so um, I definitely anybody who's just starting out in food I say use the sun it's free but at a certain point you know when you're ready to um, you know create consistency in your work or if this is something that you want to pursue professionally and you don't want to end up in a situation where you're not capable of completing the shoot um, and you know what's interesting too is that in food photography and I get this all the time is that people just have this perception that you can't make specifically flash, uh, look flattering on food. And I don't know where this misconception has come from. Uh, I'll tell you, it's out there. It's in in the psyche because I believed this for a very long time as a portrait photographer. Oh, (laughs) Right? And so in the early years, and I had my mentors telling me, no, you can do that with flash. I'm like, you can't, you can't, you cannot replicate the beauty of daylight with flash. And because every experience I had had using flash, because not knowing enough, I was shooting at the wrong shutter mm. speed. I was using the wrong modifiers and didn't understand how to work with flash. And so my images look like they were lit with flash. They look lit, yeah. basically. But yeah. 
if you know what you're doing, you can make flat with flash or even continuous lighting, which is sort of another, a a bit trickier, but you can, you can make your images look better than daylight, I believe. Absolutely. And what I tell people, you know, who, who don't believe me or, you know, certainly I, I feel like I, work hard to dispel any myths around it by, you know, openly sharing my setups yeah. and my behind the scenes through social media and just saying like, here's this beautiful image of this cake here. And, you know, doesn't that look like we're just sitting here at this table next to this big natural window? Well, it's actually just a really huge modifier. Most of my shots are done with the 55 inch uh, octagon softbox. It's really nice and large in comparison to the subject. And so I'm getting yeah. really nice, soft, even shadows and people are like, oh, and then suddenly that little aha moment goes off of, oh, this is what <laughs> we've all been talking. This, this is the magic. And so, and to me, I just have so much, I personally enjoy the process of manipulating artificial light um, to make it do the things that I want and that I can't move a window, right? But I can move a softbox all day long. I can reposition it. I can put it to the side. That um, then I don't have to move the food. I can move the light. So it's, uh, to me, a really great uh, thing just in terms of workflow and being able to really capture what it is that's in my mind. Because any shoot that I go into, um, I've, I've, at least the ones that I want to really be successful, I really have a good idea in my mind what we're trying to communicate, what's the story, what's the feeling, what's the energy, how am I going to connect with the viewer, and how do I need the light to behave in order to do that? And so I feel like I have the greatest degree of control with um, with artificial light, and specifically flash, which, too, in a restaurant environment, to me, is absolutely crucial because there's there's no restaurant that I've ever been to. Uh, that doesn't in some way, shape or form have some sort of uncontrollable component of light um, that could potentially ruin your shots. So exactly. it's nice to be able to cancel that out, deal with it, override it and, and bring my own light with me. <laughs> yeah. So you can have this consistent look. And and I think the other great thing about this working with these uh, t- this uh, tabletop setup is as a photographer that's learning, you, you can do this set up in your lounge room, in your bedroom, oh, yeah. if you're in a small space and one softbox, one speed light, like an $80 mm-hmm. Yongnuo speed light. And even, yeah. even, you don't even need a softbox to start with. You can just no. use a diffuser panel and you don't even need a diffuser. You could just get a shower curtain and stretch it out or get, or just do it in your bathroom and use a shower curtain. Absolutely. Right. Or even just bounce it off the wall. I mean, exactly. Yeah, but that's super and, inexpensive. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I know that, uh, a lot of the, uh, like we're in the, the the middle of a, a very hot summer here in Australia. So we mm. can get outside and there's lots of daylight, but a, a lot of the, the North American listeners uh, for, for several months of the year, they're kind of like, they can't really go outside unless they risk hypothermia. So, and, and so what do you do in that time? Well, you can set up a little tabletop, but you go down the street and buy a few muffins or bake and then start photographing them and, and practice these setups and, how you like food, you can also mm. apply that to how you like people. I think there's a lot, like a lot of similarities. The, the, the formulas are often the same. And I learned um, several of my portrait lighting techniques from a food photographer. I'm like, what are you doing with ah. a grid? A grid? Huh. 
I'm not going to go and use that on a person now. And I did, and I'm like, wow, that worked. That was, yeah, it's it's, uh, really cool. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And yeah, I always say, you know, if you haven't spent time in still life, it's a really great way to study the light because things really are staying still. And so to really study the shadows and the highlights and really nerd out on those things, I think can really help inform then work in all sorts of other arenas. So yeah, with your the gear, I notice that you're using Godox and uh-huh. Yong Nuo. I so I'm a huge fan of Godox. I've just uh, in the last year bought the AD220. I think the smaller Godox okay. um, um, speed light. Fantastic. Nice. And I've seen you've got the larger one. You've got the You've got the speed lights, and do you have the the six hundred? Is that right? The larger. Yep, I've got the eighty six hundred Pro yep. Mono Light. I've got two of those, yep. um, and those are primarily what I shoot with. I've yep. got a variety of speed lights for educational prof, um, reasons, just for teaching uh, yes. folks to use speed lights. But yeah, I, I I just say you can't beat some of these for the price. You know, certainly you could go spend extra money um you know on a more expensive units but part of me is like i've done side by sides all day long and you know there's little minor differences but i'm like for the money yeah. <laughs> this is a great way to go yeah and i think when you're starting out particularly you should like look at ways that you can save money and you don't need to go and and uh invest in like the b1s or you know the high end but you know if if it gets to the point where you're booking 20 cookbooks a year and you're traveling all over the place and you need to have gear that is, you know, consistent and reliable and heavy duty and, well, you know, withstands punishment, then sure, knock yourself out. Go right. to the next level because right. you need that pro gear. It's important. But I think to for the purpose of learning and, um, you know, if you, the, the turnover isn't as high, then something like a yeah. Godox uh, and even the Yongnuo are fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, it's understanding where you're starting. And, you know, I think that you can't ever go wrong with, you know, in terms of artificial light starting with a speed light, just because yeah, it's that portability factor, the affordability factor, because I mean, there's still days that I don't want to go, you know, lug the whole rig out, I'm just going to take an umbrella with a speed light and pop that up for a quick restaurant, you know, it's something for the local magazine or something that this is not a high production situation. So I'm just going to throw this little setup in here and rock and roll. It's set up in 10 minutes. It doesn't get any easier than that. So I love, I love it. So just on that, and in terms of easy setups, what would be uh, your recommendation for say someone who is, has never done any food that maybe they've got their head around? Well, let's start with daylight. What would be uh, a simple daylight setup that you could do in your in your home, um, mm-hmm. lighting something, say, not necessarily from above, but what would be your go-to setup for daylight? Yeah. So for daylight, uh, depending on what hemisphere you're in, some mm. folks say that um, either the northern exposure or the southern exposure is better. Um, you know, I would also say that very much where you physically live in the world and the weather is uh, very much 
contributes to that. I live in Arizona where we have very few cloudy days. So I've got a lot of um, natural intense sunlight coming in, but certainly folks in the UK who have a lot more cloudy days. So it kind of depends on the atmosphere and weather and your particular space. Um, but seeking out either a north facing or a south facing, just considering the direction that the sun moves in the course of the day and not having that sun directly beaming in through the light, um, creating some indirect light. Uh, for me personally, with pretty intense light, even when it's indirect, I still make sure to have some sort of diffusion in that window and also okay. making sure it's a large window because, you know, the larger the light source, the smaller and the softer the shadows are, which is generally easier to work with in terms of starting out in food photography. And so uh, that large window. And then my very first setup uh, was just I went to Ikea and got a really thin uh, curtain, like a white curtain for that window. And that was my diffusion material. And it worked, yeah. worked great. Um, you certainly can get some of the pop-up little five-in-one reflector uh, diffuser setups. Those are great as well. Um, so as long as you have something that that light can pass through, if it's particularly hard, but there's certainly folks who live in a more cloudy place. So if you've already got clouds covering the sky, then don't worry about further diffusing the light. So as long as you've got that large light source, and then I always say, just start with the light coming in from the side, um, just to create that directionality, because we want the food to look three dimensional. And we really want to extract as much texture as possible. Because it's, you know, you think about the ideal piece of bread, right? If you've got this really great crusty loaf of uh, French bread. And that if you crack that, that we're able to see all those little nooks and crannies. And so when we front light food, we lose all the magic of that texture. It's filling in that texture, filling in those shadows, as opposed to the light coming in from the side and creating that really nice raking light, which then we can see all the nooks and crannies and we can see the crevices and we can see the texture. Um, and that's what really helps to then get those salivary glands going by being able to see those things or yeah. being able to see the reflection off of, you know, if you slice citrus and you've got all those little segments and there's the little bit of glisten, that little that little highlight that's picked up in that light. Um, and so positioning the food in such a way that we are um, maximizing the texture as well as maximizing on anything that's a reflective surface, so shiny food, uh, that we're also able to get those really nice pops of highlights. And those, those are really two things that you're going to want to look for. And so as long as you've got that big light and you set yourself up at a 90 degree angle compared to that that window, photographing that food from the side angle, that's um, going to be a really great place to start. And then as you really get comfortable with that setup, then, you know, start moving so that then the light is kind of three quarter backlit and then moving into backlighting because you can have a lot of fun with things like drinks and other um, you know, even like cupcakes are a favorite thing of mine personally to photograph, um, just because you get really those grooves and the shine off of the frosting and, uh, and so backlight and three quarter backlight can do a really great job of also showing off those textures, because as long as you've got enough tonal variation, right, of the brights and the darks and the shadows to show off the three dimensionality of your food, um, you're really going to create some really great images. Fantastic. And and just on that, so you can apply what you've just learned to lighting food and you talked about the bread and showing the textures or the pores in the uh -huh. bread when you light side on. So if you're doing a portrait and you want to give someone character, then you mm. side light them. 
if you're doing a portrait and you want to flatter your subject and you don't want to show all the lines and the pores on their face, then you would front light them. So like Mm -hmm. front lighting is beauty lighting for a person, Mm -hmm. but there's no such thing as beauty lighting for a food. Is there when you front light, is there any time that you would front light something to make it look better? Uh, I mean, maybe a little fill, but Mm. never is your Mm. primary light source. Um, just because it's always going to read flat for the food. Um, it's never going to give it that three dimensionality that really makes the food delicious. Now, that being said, everybody has their own personal creative agenda. So who am I to say that there's not somebody doing amazing things, front lighting food, but, um, just personally, for me and the majority of what I see in the industry, um, the, the, the front is never going to be your key. So fronts and no, no for food and, uh, always yeah. worked to a 90 degree angle. All right. So yeah. next level, if you've got a speed light uh-huh. and you've got your cupcakes and uh-huh. be- because you live in a place where there isn't any great light, the light is like flat and n- no direction. How can you recreate that beautiful daylight simply with one light? Yeah. Uh, and the majority of what I do is one light because mm. that is what reads most natural. Um, just because you think about the story of photographing anywhere um, as far as food is concerned. You know, we're thinking about kitchens. We're thinking about dining rooms. Uh, and we're we're trying to replicate the experience of being next to a really nice large window um, because that, that makes sense. And so by utilizing a single light source, we can really recreate that very natural feel. It's when we start to incorporate additional lights, which certainly has its time and place and very effective depending on the application. But that's when then we're going to venture into a world where it feels a bit more produced. It feels a little less like we've just happened upon this scene, which is very in vogue right now in terms of the food photography industry that we want to feel like we've just happened upon this magical little scene of cupcakes with these little perfectly styled crumbs, right? So so as far as the light is concerned, if you've got a single speed light, what I say for most folks, as you said before, is you, you probably, if you've been working with natural light, have some sort of diffuser or you have, you know, curtain or even, you know, parchment paper, like white parchment paper that you can stick on a frame, whatever you can do to create a larger um, diffuser in order to shoot through that, uh, that material to then cast onto your scene. Because of course, if we just shoot with the speed light straight onto the food, it's going to feel really hard and harsh and which certainly has its time and place and can be beautiful in its own right. Um, but if you're looking for something a bit more classic and a little bit more flattering and soft, um, then yeah, just really get a really nice, big, large, white, transparent, translucent surface in order to shoot through. Um, position the speed light in a couple like maybe two three feet behind so that you get a really nice even spread of that light across the surface of whatever you're shooting through um, which then becomes the light source in and of itself then casting really nice soft light and we're going to follow the same sort of philosophy is working with the natural light and the idea that shooting at a 90 degree angle then is a great starting place to work from um, so that you've got sort of you've got your cupcake and you're shooting at the cupcake and then 90 degrees from that then you have that large diffuser or whatever you have then off to the either left side or the right side and then the speed light behind it shooting through onto the scene 
And my favorite thing is for anybody who hasn't ever shot flash before and they get their first speed light and I've worked with a lot of folks um, just starting out and it's just the, their minds are blown like, Oh my gosh, this is beautiful. How, how has this been hiding all this time? And I go, I know it's amazing. Right. Um, And then that's a matter of like, you sort of dial it in. Um, One of the places that I see a lot of people go wrong um, is, or not necessarily wrong, but just not necessarily what they intended was making sure that the diffusion material is also very close to the subject that, you know, when I see folks positioning the soft flux really far away, um, that's going to contribute to those longer shadows. So just making sure that we're getting that diffusion material really nice close up to the scene, the light far enough away from that diffusion material that it's going to create an even spread um and you can and you can do that all day long and create beautiful images well it, until your double a batteries go out and you have to replace them but <laughs> <laughs> uh but it's it's pretty incredible and uh and it's it, in the sense it's just recreating that same exact scene that you would get with the diffuser in the window just imagining that no longer we're we dealing with the sun we're dealing with a speed light how far is your flash from the diffuser um, probably it's hard to say. I'm trying to think, I mean, it, it kind of depends, but for the most part, I would say at least two to three feet from that, just kind of to get an even spread. If you're noticing hot spots on the scene, like, you know, Hey, I've got this really large diffuser going on and it's really close to the subject and, but the shadows are still really, um, harder than I want them than just backing that light up a little bit more and increasing the output, um, to just create that additional softness. So generally, I think three, two, three feet. I am not a numbers person. Yeah, you, you go by feel. Yeah. I go off of feel. So yeah, two, three feet sound, sounds about right. Uh, but certainly I've got, the, I've got a video too where I shoot with that same method. So I'll have to go back and, and reference it and just kind of look at, yeah, what what is that distance? But definitely just making sure that, you know, it's a matter of looking at the food. That's what I always tell people too is, one of the places we go wrong is we just, we set it up and we think there's some sort of like magic in the way we're setting it up. And I would just always say, well, what does the food look like? What are you seeing happening in the scene? Like you just train your critical eye to see what's happening with those shadows, what's happening with those highlights. What are they not working? Because that's a great part about light. I don't care if it's a speed light or an led or whatever it's, it's natural light. It's all going to behave the same way. Like Mm. the rules apply no matter what. So it's just a matter of that problem solving of, well, those shadows are really so too pretty. They're really intense. So, you know, let's move the light a little further away from the diffuser. Ah, now it's fully filling out. It's evenly distributing through that diffuser. And now I've really got the lighting that I was looking for. And the great thing about this is the food isn't going to sit there and judge you as you're (laughs) tweaking the light, which is like, you know, so I'm a big fan of like getting your head around lighting by working with inanimate objects. So I always Mm -hmm. recommend that if you're going to learn portrait lighting, get yourself a styrofoam head and set it up in the peace and quiet of your home and practice lighting with that. And it's the same with the cupcakes. So it's you and the cupcakes and they're going to sit there. They're not going to complain that they're tired or they need a coffee or how long is this (laughs) going to take? They're not going to roll their eyes. Like sometimes, you know, we bring out long suffering family members in, can you just stand (laughs) here? So I just want to test my new light out. It's like, why would you put yourself? And, And when you're just learning something and you're sitting there thinking, hang on, 
Uh, I'm just going to – no, wait, the trigger's not working. I'm just going to – and then meanwhile they're rolling their eyes and you can feel them getting impatient, right? So when you've got these cupcakes sitting there, they're just – they'll work for 24 hours straight. They don't care. They don't complain, do they? They don't. No, they will put up with all sorts of abuse. It's the best – That's and that's why – and that's one of my favorite things to do is just sit and play and just yeah. experiment. And, try new, and that's where the aha moments happen is just – let's just do something completely different here. And yeah, you've, you've got willing and ready models all the time in terms of food. You know, the, the number of images that my camera has taken of apples over the years is probably ridiculous, but <laughs> you, you, you will be amazed how much you will learn and how quickly that learning curve is. But if you just spend the time and uh, do it with an inanimate object and then, you know, you can, you can move on to people if that's where you want to go after the, after you've got your head around the technical but don't let the world see you sort of having to work stuff out that's no one wants to do that no but you have to do that work because that's where you know folks go wrong is you know they they take all this education and they take online courses and they do all this stuff and they're like but my images it's still not what I had in mind and I say but how much time have you actually taken that head knowledge and made it heart knowledge like you need to have like embody this in yourself in order to feel it it becomes intuitive then and it's like you see uh, like a champion basketballer okay so he's there's uh two seconds left on the clock and he lines up he shoots he scores is he thinking okay so (sighs) i'm going to let the ball go at you know and flick my wrist in this way and put it in that there's no thinking involved that is all muscle memory and intuitive but in order to get to that state Mm. he spends how many hours every day on his own late at night just shooting 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 shoot score shoot score miss miss but we never see that we never see all the work that goes on behind the scenes. And so the same is for any genre of photography. You need to get out there and practice and practice and practice until it is in your cells and in your muscle memory and then you just know what you know. And it's like a whole lot easier then to work under pressure, oh, yeah. which is what happens when you're on a paid shoot. It's not like everyone's going to step. Like, so you're there on set with stylists and chefs and the client yeah. and it's yeah. not like you can sit there and go, I'm just no. going to play for four hours now while I get no. my into my creative zone <laughs> and I'm going to no. change the backgrounds. No, you're you're starting to perspire because you're starting to get ang- You can see, feel everyone else getting anxious. You need to be in that zone pretty quickly. Oh yeah, you got it. That's that's the tough part um, of being a professional in something that you also love. Is that yeah, you have to learn to do that thing that you love on demand, and and that's that's also fun. Yeah, because you do get to that point. I was on a shoot a couple of weeks ago for a restaurant that I've been shooting for a long time for, and I, I brought an assistant with me, and it was one of her first times being in a restaurant shoot. Um, and restaurants are what restaurants are and they're unpredictable environments. And so we ended up having to shoot in not the most desirable location, kind of out in the back of the restaurant, kind of near the trash area. It was, it was like a strange, it was super glad. I'm like, anybody who thinks food photography is really glamorous. It's really not. It's mostly about like hauling a bunch of stuff around, working in a hot kitchen, working with, you know, sometimes wacky people. But, uh, yeah, so we're out in this really weird spot at the back of the restaurant, 
um, you know, and I get everything set up and yeah, I mean, they're just, they're bringing the food and we've got a good rhythm and, you know, we communicated well as far as timing, but she's just like, how you are moving so fast. And I'm like, yeah, because that's what this shoot requires. And that's the situation. And, you know, fortunately, I've got the tools available that I don't have to think so much about these things that I can just jump into it. But I mean, that's been hours and hours, thousands of hours um, committed to doing nothing but playing around so that yeah, when it's go time, no problem, we can make beautiful, we can make beautiful food images anywhere we need to at a moment's notice. (laughs) Fantastic. Just a couple more questions that like I could go for hours here that love chatting to you. Yeah. Um, One of the videos that I watched of yours on your amazing YouTube channel and uh, What's what's it? Joni, the bite is it? Is it the bite shots? It's the, the, the you think about a great food. food. Well, I can tell you the story. I was working um, a number of photos for Briar's ice cream, and my son needed to be involved. He was like four years old at the yeah. time. Uh, he needed to be involved because they required the final shot of the shoot. The on the shot list um, was a child's hand reaching in to grab the the food, um, which in this case is ice cream. So yep. what little four year old is not going to be totally excited at the prospect <laughs> of being involved in this photo shoot in order to grab uh, the, you know an ice cream treat? And then he had to take a bite out of it and then put it back. And huh. so that was kind of his big moment. And so we did about six different briefs, um, through the course of a couple, couple months. And, you know, by the, by the maybe fourth or fifth one, he's like, is it time for the bite shot? Yet? Is it time for the bite shot? And so when I was coming up with a name for my YouTube channel, I just thought, you know, the bite shot, right? Cause it's that, that's something very unique to food photography. Granted, a lot of times we don't end up actually eating the food that we're shooting, no. but um, there certainly are situations where you do get, you know, a final bite of something by the time the shoot is done. So it's it's the bite shot. <laughs> That's fantastic. So one of the um, videos that I watched that blew my mind because I've never thought of this is like you were doing flat lays, but you added huh. depth by having the um, the products at different heights. And I'm like, yeah, huh. That's a great idea. That's a fantastic idea. I've never thought of that. I always thought a flat lay needs to be flat. So just for anyone listening, can you describe what a flat lay is? Yeah, well, it's very, very popular. If you hop on Instagram and look at any food images, for sure you will run into some sort of overhead shot. Now it's sort of an adaptation of, you know, from the idea of in the magazine world, you have a flat lay of various products kind of all assembled into a flat overhead image, but that's sort of been now adopted by the food industry by describing these overhead shots of, you know, generally a recipe or ingredients or, you know, some sort of scene that we're capturing it from the overhead perspective. Right. And so this layering blew my mind. I loved it because you've suddenly you've created, because flat lays, just in the yeah. title, they're flat. Yeah, flat. <laughs> and, flat. And you can add life with the lighting that you use. It can be some direction in there, but they're flat. Yeah. And yeah. suddenly here you are raising up the hero plate or raising elements and so that like uh, you're looking from overhead and it still looks flat, but there's depth, which I love. Yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, really thinking about, you know, that we're no longer, yeah, from the overhead perspective of what are the heights of the various items that I have, because that's one of the real key tools in food photography. I mean, certainly if you have a really beautiful hero, as far as the food itself is just spectacular and ornate and interesting, and that's going to be the solitary thing in the image. That's great. Um, but sometimes we are incorporating additional props, ingredients, other things that add to the story of, okay, well, this is not just, you know, a cupcake, this is a birthday cupcake. And so that's why we have sprinkles and we have candles and we have all these other kind of peripheral items that support that story. And so how can we then put those at various heights so that we can create visual interest that, that creates sort of a dynamic sense that we're peering into this scene? Because I mean, as a, as a food photographer, I always say I'm kind of, I've just gone back to sixth grade and I'm creating little dioramas again. You remember we yeah. used to read little books and we create a diorama? Well, that's yeah. what I'm doing in essence. It's just a little bit more elevated and my technique's a little more refined. Um, <laughs> But how can we kind of enclose in, in things? So, for example, you know, maybe we're going to elevate um, something on a cake stand and so that the hero is up from then whatever's on the surface of um, underneath that, you know, so that the maybe the tablecloth is at a different distance than from the lens. And so we can use a wider aperture then um, to create a more narrow depth of field to really draw the eye to the subject. And so everything else kind of falls off. Um, and it, it can be a really interesting technique. And so for me, when I shoot overhead, you know, a lot of people say you got to shoot overhead, you know, at like F7, F9 in order to really capture everything. And I go, I don't think that's true. I yeah. think you can shoot, you know, wider so that you can really zero in as long as you have a good understanding of the depth of your subject um, and how much you need in order to accurately capture um, the primary subject in the image, then everything else can kind of fall off. I'm not as concerned about it because that does create depth and helps drive the eye and communicate with the viewer um, what's most important in that image. And yeah, just make you feel like you've walked into it. That's fantastic. I love that. I love that whole, it's like almost like a, you, you'd be creating a landscape, but from above. So there's all those different, yeah. um, and you add adding texture and there's so many like, ways that your eye is drawn to that spot so it can be light it can also be texture and it can be the depth fantastic um yeah just just on that with your lens choice mm -hmm. um is is there a particular focal length that you prefer and is there are, are you uh do you prefer shooting a narrower um a shallow depth of field or do you prefer to have uh more depth and detail in your images or is it all dependent on the shot yeah i mean certainly the food and the mood that i'm going for will determine but i mean really um i i primarily i would say 90 percent of my shots are done with two lenses um one being 50 millimeter sigma art um, f1.4 lens that's like my go-to for um, overheads it's my go-to for you know a lot of three-quarter angle um, I've I've been pushing myself to get you know I to me 50 is wide um, just because the subject matter I'm working with so I've been pushing myself to use the 50 more and head-on but for the most part when I'm doing a more head-on shot than 100 millimeter is definitely um, my go-to so really like the majority of the work that I do is 50 and a 100 millimeter macro. Those are just kind of my two go-tos. I do have a 24 to 70 um, that I'll use, especially when I'm shooting at a restaurant. Um, 
just so that I have that versatility that if I need to move quickly and, you know, suddenly one moment we're, you know, shooting a dish and then yeah. the next minute, hey, we need to grab this chef's portrait before he leaves for the day because he's at the end of his shift. So, okay, now I'm going to run and do a portrait real quick. Um, and it's also great if we want those wider, you know, real kind of popular in food photography is where you've got multiple dishes spread over an entire table that that 24 is going to give you um, the, you know, the size in order to be able to see everything that's going on in that scene. But for me, you know, I always tell people, and if you're going to start out in food, you know, 50 F 1.8 is just a really like, you can't go wrong there just because you're going to be able to get, um, you know, the, the wider aperture, you're going to be able to, you know, get a good variety from overhead to side on. But then when you're ready to invest in a more expensive lens compared to that, then, you know, hundred millimeter macro is going to be great because food photographers, we just really love to zero in on the particular subject, compress the background, um, really bring that food to the forefront and give it life. Um, but that's not to say, I mean, it's, it's like any photography, discipline that that as much as I say that food photographers love 100 millimeters there's for sure going to be food photographers out there who shoot at 24 all the time so um but that being said you know for me like especially in my studio I'm more I'm not working in a giant space and so I don't necessarily want um that wider angle because I really want to <laughs> narrow the scene yeah. work in a smaller space and that really lends well to the food I do um as far as uh, aperture I do I have uh, more notoriously lived in the arena of f 2.8 to about f4 and yep. that's bit, that's like my super comfort zone I like a, a good bit of softness on the background um, depending on how far I am from the subject uh, I, I don't really you know dip too far into the 1.4 1.2 um, but as far as that wider, depth, you know, going into the F7s, F9s, uh, I'm, I'm working on pushing myself into that zone just because I think it does uh, force you to work harder at your composition. Um, and because you can't hide as much, I don't think, yeah. uh, with with that depth of field. So that's been something I've been working on. So anybody who follows my work and say, oh, she's, she's, she's busting out of her old comfort zone there. <laughs> that's interesting. That's interesting. I've yeah. been doing the same. I've been uh, pushing. Have you? Yes. Yeah, must be something in the air. It's something in the air, but I also, I do find it so rewarding because then you see, oh, you know, there are so many other tools that we can use um, that I don't, I, I, granted, I love some creamy bokeh mm. like the next person, but I, if it's what I'm relying on every time, then I know I've gotten in a rut. And so got to spice it up, keep people guessing. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's, that's so cool. Um, so just to finish off, um, where do you get your inspiration? And I'm just like, you know, let me throw that at you. This could be an hour answer, but like, right. is there, what, what, what's your go-to? Are you looking at food photography from the past is it art is it movies yeah I I mean there's a lot of different places but for me you know a lot of people say oh I go to Instagram and I go to Pinterest and I say I don't go there as often as maybe others do just because um I feel like it becomes so homogenous mm. in that space and the food, food photography all starts to look very similar and I don't want to create something similar. Um, I also in my spare time, which I don't do as often as I used to, um, like to paint. And so I really kind of go back to what's the aesthetic that I enjoy painting in. It's very much, um, you know, looking at the world, the work of Paul uh, Cezanne and uh, Gauguin yeah. and yeah. looking at Kandinsky and, uh, a lot of more modern, um, 
folks, Warhol, the real kind of more punchy, high color, high vibrancy, um, saturated tones that I really enjoy. And so looking at that kind of work, like I, I still fortunately from my undergrad days have a lot of my art history books. So it's not unusual for me to, you know, if I'm just in a space, I'm like, where am I going with this shoot? You know, because I, I generally know what I'm shooting a couple days ahead of time. And so really being able to go, okay, where are we, where are we trying to go with this? What kind of mental space, you know, what's, what are we trying to communicate? And so I'll see other images then in art history books, um, that'll really kind of get the imagination going. But I also do enjoy, and I think it's important if you're going to get into food photography is to be familiar with, especially what the magazines are doing, um, just in terms of Bon Appetit and Gourmet. Um, I get a subscription to Art Culinaire, which is um, much more of a culinary magazine. But those kind of publications, you know, understanding the production that goes into those images, um, I think it's really helpful to look at at what they're doing. Because, you know, I think like Bon Appetit did such an amazing job. Um, Like Peden and Monk, uh, two real well-known food photographers out of New York, did a really great job a number of years ago of bringing in harder light um, and creating a lot more contrast and dynamic and messier and more raw and gritty in terms of food photography, which is a real departure from the light and airy and ethereal and, you know, that we'd had going on before that. And so I think you can see the trends starting to rise in some of these publications that can be a bit more, um, you know, can have a little bit more adventure in terms of their aesthetic. And you can sometimes find something that really speaks to you. So uh, I think it's it's helpful to look at it also what's on the newsstands. Fantastic. I think that's a good point to finish on. Uh, so where can people find you? Yeah, they can primarily find me like my day to day behind the scenes um, is going to be over on Instagram at the bite shot. Uh, and that's where I'm, you know, sharing the no makeup situation behind the scenes, food everywhere, parsley in a million different places on the floor. <laughs> yeah, again, anybody who thinks this is glamorous, wait till you see. It's definitely yeah. not. Um, it's a whole lot of fun, though. Uh, and then I also uh, post regular personal projects there as well. Um, and then I'm also I do uh, weekly YouTube tutorials. Yep. And so we're currently working through a uh, book club and really kind of going back to a lot of foundational principles that, you know, are learned in kind of photography 101, art history 101, really understanding things such as color and light and composition. So uh, it's a it's a fun adventure. And it's a really great community. I just I'm always continually amazed at how many people get excited about specifically food photography. Yeah, they're fantastic YouTube videos, too. It's so many, so much great content there. So uh, I do encourage everyone to check it out. Uh, Joni, thanks so much for chatting with us today. I'd love to have you back at some point. There's like another million questions that I didn't get to ask. (laughs) You bet. Yes, please. This was an absolute pleasure for me too. All right, there you go, Joni Simon. Love it. Now, I think that one of the most important things is to be able to use artificial light in food Mm -hmm. photography, especially if you want to do it you know, and get paid and and be professional about it or do it more. And I think that so many people, particularly in the world of Instagram, they know how to style the shot because Mm. they've got really good eyes. And so they know how to make it look beautiful and take photos with their iPhone or their fancy camera. Um, But they don't necessarily know how to use artificial light. And 
I remember uh, I used to use a um, food photographer in Sydney who was very good, like her shots were beautiful. Mm. Um, and she, though, I only used, I, I used her on a particular food page that uh, I was editing. And the thing is she knew that that was coming up and, you know, she, she could work out her timetable so that she could deliver the shots at an appropriate time. But she never made it as a food photographer because she only mm. used daylight. And therefore, if she had a job where there was a deadline on a certain day that was a set deadline, but it was raining that day yep. or terrible weather that day, she couldn't shoot Yes, or, or she could only deliver average shots. So in the end, she gave it up actually. Wow! Because she didn't learn um, how to use artificial light. She was it was too weather dependent, and she couldn't get the regular gigs because she couldn't um, uh, deliver. She, she couldn't be sure that she was going to deliver on time. Yep. With the gig that she had with me, she kind of had time to prepare and if it was raining that day, she would just get the stylist to it because she knew the stylist. To, to cook the food all over again. <laughs> yeah, that happens a lot, Valerie, uh, in, in the food product industry, but also uh, portrait photography. And, uh, y you know, the daylight is gorgeous. It is. But you're giving yourself a very tiny window to be able to mm. shoot in. And if you want to work as a professional photographer and you want to be able to control the light, you can't. You don't know what you're going to get. It could be like I'm looking out my window now and the light it is overcast and the mm. light is poop. That's a technical poop. term. <laughs> poop light, it's flat, there's no contrast, there's no zing. And if you get that all day and and – also, when you're doing long shoots where there might be 20 or 30 shots, a cookbook, for instance, might yeah. happen over, and, and Joni talked about this, over several days, and you want that all of it to look consistent, you have to work, you have to learn to use artificial light, and it just then, then you can work anywhere uh, once you learn how to do that because I think it's a very important skill. Very, very important. Okay, so what is happening with you in the coming week before we speak again? All right, so I've just uh, just finished the CCs for the gold community. So that's uh, the constructive constructive critiques, critiques of their shots. Yes, and so I've got a uh, big project that I'm working on, and that I'll be working on that all year. So that's uh, taking up a lot of my really? time at the moment, Val. Yeah, and so uh, when are you going to reveal all? Share some of the shots as I go, and uh, wow. yeah, yeah, and some other stuff that I haven't <laughs> told you about. Oh my that god! I need to tell you about, and then we'll share with the uh, podcast listeners as well down the track so there's lots and lots and lots going on and and what about you Val what's uh, what's happening with the lunar festival what what who are you hobnobbing yeah. with and what buttons will you be turning and <laughs> well it goes from the 1st to the 10th of February and if you want to find out more go to sydneylunarfestival.com but if you're listening to this uh, after the event well we're we're already commissioning artists for 2020 
for 2020 and um, already got meetings in place to organize the next one. And then I just need a little bit of a rest, yeah. I think, because, you know, my feet hurt mm. because I'm in heels a lot more than I should be. And, um, uh, yeah, I just – we've just got so much on that I just need to spend a couple of days mm, – with Netflix? Just sitting and, like, you know what I do when I come off a big project? I just sometimes just sit in a corner and stare at a wall for mm. a, a little, you know, you don't want to, it's that pressure of always having to be somewhere. I know. And just, yeah, I think Netflix is good for that. And just kind of eat a bag of chips and drink I tea. Know. Pota- not I know. hot yes. chips for the North Amer- American listeners. And uh, the, uh, you know, potato chips, the cold yes. ones. You know, crisps, they're crisp, called, they're called in America. Crisp. That is yeah. my comfort food. What's your comfort food? So mine is tea and potato mm. crisps. What's yours? Oh, your I have go-to? so many. Yeah, yours have probably so sweet, I would say. Mm. Well, I do like banoffee pie, but you yeah. can't actually have too much of that because it's too much. Yeah. It's too sweet. Yeah. I do like um, – I only eat salt and vinegar chips um, or crisps. No. I don't eat any other flavour. No. Um, That's just a hard no on that. I'm holding up my fingers in a cross. No, (laughs) just no. It's wrong on all levels. Salt and vinegar. Not wrong. It's the only kind. I grew up on Samboys. Thick ones. Kettle. Uh, um, I like salt and vinegar. Kettle chips. Mm, Kettle chips, plain. Okay. Mm. Anyway, um, and I don't know. Gosh, what would I have? What would I? Salt and vinegar chips. Is that your go to? It's not your go to. It's probably not my go-to, but if it's there, I can't stop myself. Vegemite but toast can... is another one for me too, but the really? toast has to be cold so that Ooh. the butter doesn't soak in and then the Vegemite oh. goes on top. That has to be done like that. So when it comes out of the toaster, I make a little – people have switched off by now, so don't worry, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but what... So it's just you and I having a chat now. But what I do is I get the to- – and if you still listen at this point, upload to the Facebook group toast uh to tell us that you're still listening a i the the toast pops right you take it out and you put it on the plate as like a little teepee like you know you make a like yeah i know and that cools it off and so when it's cold then the butter goes on and it has to be good quality butter never margarine that's rubbish and then i thought you would say nutella where does nutella rank in all of this oh for comfort food Nutella mm. is an after-hours comfort food, and I've had to do that because if I there's a jar, there's a half-empty jar in the in the cupboard at the moment. If I start on Nutella before, say, uh, during the daytime, daylight hours, it's dangerous because mm. I can't stop. Okay. Once you go in, I'm going back and back and back. So I've got the you're <laughs> only allowed to get a teaspoon out at a time. Right. I have to say, everyone, she's not exaggerating because I've seen seen it. I've seen an entire jar. She's eaten an entire jar in one sitting. I got a tiny bit, like maybe two teaspoons. I ate the whole thing, didn't I? She ate the whole thing. I was in shock. It was a 500 gram jar. I was in shock. In one night. She ate it in one night. With ice cream. Mm. Yeah. So it's no good. I can't. Um, It just has to be late at night. And so it's often a kind of a nine or 10 o'clock thing. All right, this is true confessions at so you of a Nutella addict. No yeah. one's listening. All right, 
Where do we find you online, Gina? GinaMilitia.com. That's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. I'm at Gina Militia on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter at Gina Militia. And if you want to connect with me in person and you're thinking you want to take your photography to the next level, then come and join me in the Goal community. I'd love the opportunity to work with you guys. And then if you want to connect with me in person, in person, check out the (laughs) Sicily food tour, the links in the show notes. And Val? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Do connect with us on Facebook, but also you can find me at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit GinaMilitia.com.